0: Yes. Yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan show here on the inside STL podcast network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan show. And we got a good interview for you here today. This is one that uh, people have been asking me about. When's it going to go up? When do I get a chance to hear it? Well, here you go. Here it is. Dan Dierdorf, the pro football hall of famer, uh, legendary broadcaster on Monday night football and also um, outspoken regarding the Rams move. And this goes back. This is why I like to talk to him about it. uh, Before Stan Kroenke was even the majority partner, uh, or in his case, 100%, because he did talk about the possibility of the Rams moving if the city didn't get its act together back in 2008. And so we talk about that uh, right out of the gate in this conversation. Dan Deardorff presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Mark Hanna, Uh, always the sponsor of our guests here on the Tim McKernan Show. And this is a good time to talk about it because uh, this is the end of the year, and a lot of times people start getting their year-end finances set up right now. For a lot of us, including myself, we have young kids, and planning for education costs is on our minds. In both Missouri and Illinois, you might be eligible for a state tax deduction for putting money into a 529 plan. Uh, But for 2018, you have to put that money in by the end of the year. Well, don't wait. Things are always so busy for all of us. And for most of us, we put off doing things to the last minute. Call Mark Hanna at 314-889-0503, and he can help you figure out if a college savings plan is the right thing for your needs. Talk to Mark Hanna with Evergreen Wealth Strategies at evergreenstl.com. Mark helps everyday people meet their financial goals by helping them to create a clear picture of their finances, Dan Deerdorf, a very thorough conversation on the Rams' move, everything that led up to the Rams' move, the actual process of the Rams' move, his perspective on Stan Kroenke, his perspective on St. Louis as an NFL city, his perspective on St. Louis football, Cardinals moving, what he recalls from that. Because we've kind of had it on this podcast, two kind of versions of the story—one from Gene McNary, one from Vince Shamel. Well, Dan Deerdorf was working in sports broadcasting and obviously uh, played for the Cardinals uh, and had just retired a few years before they moved. So what did he think of that? And then also his playing career and the details on that. It's all here in this interview presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies on the Tim McKernan Show from the com studios. Well, Dan, first off, I'm very grateful for you taking time out of your day to uh, to join me on the show. It's a pleasure and it's an honor to have you on.
1: Well, Tim, I'm glad to do it. Uh, it's uh, always uh, talking always comes easy. It's uh, uh, I get to sit in a chair. It's uh, it's hardly exhausting.
0: <laughs> so you're calling games now for Michigan, and I got to say something. It looks like Michigan might be in the mix here for the college football playoff, depending on what plays out over the course of November. What's your what's your feeling on your alma mater playing some good football?
1: Well, it's. Uh, uh, if you'd have said to me that we, at this point we'd be in the running, uh, with the schedule we had uh, going into the season, we had uh, uh, one of the five hardest schedules in college football. Uh, uh, when you consider that being in the Eastern Division of the Big Ten means automatically that you have to play Ohio State, Michigan State, and Penn State, mm-hmm. uh, three ranked uh, teams, Uh, Then we also had to play Wisconsin, who at one time was ranked in the top five. And then we had to open the season on the road in South Bend against Notre Dame. Uh, And three of those uh, against our biggest rivals uh, in a really odd year, the way the schedule broke out, is we had to go to South Bend, we had to go to East Lansing, and we still have to go to Columbus. All three of those games on the road. So the fact with a schedule like that, that we're even in the conversation is uh, pretty complimentary to this team.
0: I think I like to do this with college football, even though it's oftentimes is an exercise in futility because there's so much variance, but I think that if Michigan were to win out, I think Michigan gets in. Would you agree with that? Yes.
1: Yeah. I would agree with that. I, if Michigan, uh, if Michigan, uh, goes to, if we handle Penn state this weekend, uh, run the table, go to Columbus, beat Ohio State, and then have to uh, play in the Big Ten championship game and win that, we'd be a one-loss team with our only loss being a one-touchdown loss on the road to Notre Dame, who's probably going to end up undefeated. Right. I, I don't see there's any way that uh, you keep Michigan out of the Final Four, but that's let me tell you, that's a long absolutely, way.
0: off. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Uh, having you know, just this weekend, I mean, Penn State is a yeah. uh, is a dangerous team, and then let's not kid ourselves. Ohio State uh, going to Columbus and beating Ohio State is a man size
0: task. Yes. No matter what the situation is right, any year. Right. I'm curious because, you know, having played for Bo Schembechler, seeing the kind of, of talent you saw both playing and then also broadcasting, uh, th- this 2018 Alabama operation at this point looks like it's in a different class than many of the great college football teams we've seen over the years. What is your perspective on it?
1: You know, when I look at what Nick Saban is doing at Alabama, uh, I remember when Bud Wilkinson became uh, the head coach of the uh, football Cardinals. And uh, he'd had that incredible streak at Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I I, I think it was 48 in a row, uh, something like that, where they won 48 consecutive uh, college football games. And I remember talking to some people about that accomplishment, which is, you know, I doubt we'll ever – anyone will ever approach that again. Yeah, they
0: didn't lose from 53 through 57.
1: Right. And, and, but I, re, I, I remember talking to a few coaches about that, and, and one of them made a comment that was not a compliment. He said, you know, I'll tell you something about those 48 wins. Uh, not once in those 48 wins did Bud Wilkinson ever take an Oklahoma team onto the field where they played a team that had better personnel and, and that's where Nick Saban is with Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's he had the number one recruiting class for like eight years in a row. Uh, every year when Alabama takes the field, uh, they overwhelm who they're playing because of, of, of their talent level. And, uh, so is, is Nick Saban a great coach or is he an unbelievable recruiter? Um, uh, It's a combination of both, but there's no denying that uh, Alabama, year in and year out, walks onto a football field uh, with more athletes than the other team.
0: You know, we watch Alabama in awe on Saturdays, and now it's a very difficult time, I think, for many St. Louis football fans because we're kind of watching the rebirth of the greatest show on turf part two, except it's in Los Angeles. Uh, What do you think of what we're seeing with the 2018 Rams?
1: Well, there's no way that uh, if you were a diehard Rams fan, that you don't have indigestion. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> That's a good way I, to put it. Yeah, uh, who could actually watch what they're doing and 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 really say, "Oh, I'm really happy for them." Uh, uh, I, I, the, the animosity in this town towards Stan Kroenke, uh, which, by the way, I think it's more towards Stan Kroenke than it is towards the Rams themselves. Uh, yeah, that, that's a scar and an open wound in this town that uh, isn't going away anytime soon.
0: You know, with, with regard to the Rams and that process, anytime we talk about that, and we co- on our show, we covered it pretty intently. I felt like it was kind of taking our eye off the ball if we would talk about a loss in 2012 or 13 and not talk about what seemed to be the obvious discussion, which was the long time, long-term time, long ramifications to the region, should they move again? And I saw a quote from you, and it's actually in 2008, when they were talking about the uh, Eddie DeBartolo quotes, uh, saying that, uh, I know uh, that uh, they are definitely in play regarding the Rams. Georgia's kids have decided to sell the team. I've talked to some people who are brokering things, and they've told me about the price and what the deal might entail. At the time, the Rams denied that that was the case and you were, I felt like Dan and maybe there were others, but you certainly having the, the, the name recognition that you have stood out and you said, you know, regarding the situation, something that mo- many people weren't saying, you were saying this in 2008 before Kroenke had bought the the majority and exercising his right of first refusal. Uh, you said there needs to be a dialogue involving the business community, the political community and the sports community. Everyone has to start talking about what are we going to do to make sure that the Rams are here through the end of the lease. When you said that, were you thinking, man, they've only been here 13 years, but I could see them moving. What were you thinking when you said that? If I can take you back 10 years to a, to that. Well,
1: I I had, uh, uh, I I was an insider in one sense that, uh, I was chairman of the CVC, the convention and visitors commission at the time. And we were the leaseholders of, 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 the dome, uh, who it was our responsibility to negotiate with the Rams. So uh, when the, that ten-year window, uh, you know, you know, and we've been through it all before about you know uh, top tier and what that meant and everything else. Well, I was actually the chairman of the CBC, and I I had to negotiate with John Shaw uh, the terms of, of, of uh, how we handled the, the negotiation and what was going to happen at the end of the first 10 and and then what was going to happen at the end of the second 10. The reality is uh, the Rams, if they wanted to, they could have avoided the lease after the first 10 years. They could have avoided that lease in 2005 because even by that time, uh, the Dome wasn't in the top 25% mm-hmm. of the stadia in the NFL. So I had to negotiate with John, would he take uh, $30 million uh, worth of improvements, basically, uh, to the Dome uh, to extend it to, you know, not to go to the second 10, to the end of 20 years? And but, you know, what he wanted, which made a lot of sense, was uh, there'd be that window, uh, three windows, uh, three years before that, where negotiations would commence uh, we would go to arbitration if we couldn't agree on on either upgrades or a new— So the, the reality is is I knew in 2008 that in 2015 the Rams were going to be completely and utterly unencumbered if they wanted to leave St. Louis. That was the nature of the lease that was signed in 1994. There was no getting around it. Uh, it was a 30-year lease in name only— uh, in reality, it, it, the, it was always going to be a 20-year lease. So I, I knew, uh, and, and let me just say this about uh, our professional football status. Uh, we, as a community, I think bear complete responsibility for allowing the football Cardinals to leave. We, that was botched on so many different levels. Uh, in allowing the Bidwell family uh, to leave. They didn't want to leave, but they didn't want to be the second-class citizen at Bush Stadium. They wanted their own stadium, and who could blame them? But through arrogance, through this misguided belief that, oh, don't worry about it, Anheuser-Busch will get us another team, we allowed the football Cardinals to leave. That was our fault. Having said that, I think the St. Louis area bears no fault whatsoever in the Rams leaving to go to Los Angeles. Stan Kroenke wanted to go to Los Angeles, and there is nothing that anyone in St. Louis could have done uh, to keep the Rams from moving. So it's, it's a tale of two completely different moves, and but St. Louis could have done nothing, in my estimation, to keep the Rams from moving
0: so much to dig into just from that right there. And I I want to make sure that I, that I attempt to remember all of them because I have like four questions from what you just said there. First off, one thing, this is more or less an observation, but you played here, hall of fame career here, uh, live here still. One of the thing that really things that really irritates me regarding the Rams discussion and then how it pertains to St. Louis and the market is that, well, they couldn't support two football teams here, and that's why St. Louis doesn't have an NFL team, and I just feel like it's a real misnomer to the football fans of St. Louis.
1: Right, Uh, which is uh, totally untrue. Uh, This is a good football market. It's a good football town. Uh, Were there some empty seats uh, at some of the Rams games? Uh, Yes, uh, uh, because the product was inferior. Uh, Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, the the Rams uh, put a bad product on the field for a number of years. Uh, there would have been empty seats in any city in America. So uh, it's unfair to say that St. Louis didn't support the Rams. What the w- w- what St. Louis didn't support was a bad product. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's let's throw that out. Uh, the, I will never ever accept the fact uh, that this town wouldn't support. Uh, a quality a pro football franchise,
0: and then and then secondarily, what you were making reference to, Dan, in in, in the mid nineteen eighties, and then eventually the day that uh, Bill Bidwell announces that they're moving and becoming the Phoenix Cardinals before they were the Arizona Cardinals, you know, I had uh, Gene McNary in and I had Vince Shamel in at two different times, uh, and I'm curious what you because they because I said I'm interviewing Gene McNary, and he tells the story, that I mean he told the story in detail. Uh, that he was on his way downtown to meet Vince Shamel, uh for lunch at the MAC, and they had an agreement that they were going to build a new stadium for Bill Bidwell, uh, essentially where Hollywood Casino Amphitheater is now. Out at Audit Riverport. Right, Riverport, exactly, more commonly known as Riverport still. Yep. And Shamel calls him on his way, or before he heads down there, I guess, pre-cell phones, and says, I can't do the deal. Uh, the power brokers in the city say that if you m- allow this team to move outside of the city, as in into the county, your hopes for political aspirations beyond being mayor of St. Louis are over, and you can't do it. And then I interview Vince Shamel, tell him that story, and he says that's absolutely not true. Bill Bidwell didn't want uh, Anheuser-Busch products served at the new football stadium, which was going to make it awfully difficult for the stadium to uh, work here in St. Louis because he had some kind of thing with Gussie Bush. What have you heard regarding what actually uh, happened?
1: <laughs> well, all I know is, is is I can't. I'm not sure what Vince Shamel knew, didn't know. Uh, all I know is that Gene McNary was right. Gene McNary uh, wanted to build an open-air stadium at Riverport, which would have been uh, if – if we would have been able to come to some sort of a community-wide consensus that that was the way to go, that would have been a home run. That's uh, All we needed was a stadium similar to what's in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't have to be elaborate, uh, but an outdoor stadium at Riverport would have kept the Cardinals here. It would have given, given them their own home, and uh, Gene McNary, Gene McNary had the right vision. He, that was the right thing to do, and uh, it didn't get done. And because of that, regardless of what role Vin Shamel played, I can't speak to that. I you know but it would be conjecture. Right. Gene McNary had the right idea at the right time, and you know we, as a community didn't pull it off, and that was our fault.
0: So uh, at that time, you're working as a sportscaster in St. Louis. McNary also said, and I had never heard this. It was this was a fascinating interview because I was like ten years old when all of this happened, uh, when the Cardinals moved. But that he also said he got a call from an NBA owner and actually talked with him. That he believes it was the Spurs who wanted to move to St. Louis as well. So we were look we went from looking like a potential four team town to a two team town in a matter of of a couple of years. And then there was a belief yeah. that, that it would become, Oh, well, then the, then the, the Patriots will move here uh, because of, uh, orthwine. And then it became, Oh, they'll get an, uh, an expansion team. And when we saw how that all play out, you're a sportscaster, you're covering this plus you're in the new position as being, you know, a recently retired player with the franchise. What do you recall during the 1980s with that whole saga?
1: Well, I, I remember doing, uh, uh, sports open line at camo X, uh, and taking phone call after phone call about, oh, let the Cardinals leave. Anheuser Busch will get us another team. Anheuser Busch will do this. Anheuser Busch, don't worry. If the Cardinals leave, let them go. We'll have another team within a year. And I'm, I, I, I kept telling people, it, it doesn't work like that. It, it, that's not the way. That's not the way this works. That is, uh, uh, the, for you to have an opinion like that is to completely not understand how the NFL works. And you know, we just had this uh so many people just had this naive thought that that Anheuser Busch was uh that they would uh go away from what they do, which the last time I checked is sell beer to to being the savior for the city of St. Louis when it came to pro football. That's that was never gonna be the way it was going to work. When and I, I let me Tim, let me just tell you one yeah. other thing. Um the Bidwells did not want to move. Uh, I know Michael Bidwell very, very well. Uh, Michael has told me before. Uh, Michael was born and raised in St. Louis. He, he loved this town, and he told me uh, how heartbroken he was uh, w- when that move happened and they had to relocate to Arizona. He didn't want to go to Arizona. He he wanted to he wanted to die in St. Louis. This was his home, and uh, I just I you know I look back, I look at where we are now, and boy, talk about woulda, coulda, shoulda.
0: Oh, I'm telling you, you know what? Regarding Michael Bidwell, and I and, and and I've heard a number of stories. I would imagine you actually know the stories about what he has done. Still, and it's now 30 years removed from the Cardinals moving to Phoenix for the community of St. Louis. And I'll say, my God, that's a great story. How come nobody knows about it? And they'll say. Michael just doesn't want people to know. That's just the way that he is.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, he's done some nice work here with uh, uh, scholarships through the National Football Foundation, some other things. I, I'm sure he's done a lot of things that, that I don't even know about. Uh, 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 Michael has, has made sure that the, uh, the guys who live here in St. Louis franchise, uh, they are welcome at any time. Uh, out uh, in Glendale uh, at the complex, at the stadium. Um, I'll tell you, the first time I ever went uh, to their new stadium uh, out in Glendale, Mm -hmm. I was dumbstruck by how many photographs there are in that stadium of their St. Louis days and the St. Louis players. And uh, when he didn't have to do that. And if you have never, if you're a football cardinal fan, and, and you've never been to the stadium out there, uh, when you go for the first time, you're gonna see, you're gonna see uh, a building that remembers their heritage, whether it was in uh, St. Louis or, or what happened after they moved to the desert. It's, uh, I was blown away by how they. Braced. What happened in St. Louis?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that. That doesn't seem like that's necessarily commonplace. Oftentimes, organizations just kind of try to forget about it, you know, or not make yeah. it public anyway.
1: No, it, uh, I'm very, uh, uh, I'm very proud of what uh, Michael has done. Uh, I know they're having a tough year this year, but he is, uh, he is a good person. He is a good guy and uh, he wants to win. He he, he really does, and uh, he's running a business, but uh, I, the, the, the the football Cardinals are in good hands uh, w- with Michael
0: running the franchise. Hope you're enjoying this conversation with Dan Deardorff here on the Tim McKernan Show. We're in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, our sponsor here on the Tim McKernan Show, and I'm very grateful for Ryan's support, but you know what even if ryan weren't a sponsor i'd be like hey you know what the person to go to if you're buying a home or refinancing is ryan kelly he's online at the i know he's a good guy i know he knows how to market i know he's very philanthropic but when it gets down to it i know for most people it's like yeah can he save me money can he get me approved and the answer is gonna be yes way more than it's gonna be no and that's how he's grown his business and you might have listened to his podcast here on the Tim McCarney Show, telling his story. Man, you want to talk about a guy who took an idea and ran with it? Well, that's Ryan Kelly, and he can save you money. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly is his name. Whether you be buying a home, whether you be financing, refinancing, go to thehomeloanexpert.com. You'll see the two tabs right there, and immediately, very simply, the process begins, and, and it's such a case of, you know what? It's just a few minutes and it might wind up saving you a bunch of money. It's worth doing it. His name is Ryan Kelly and he is the sponsor of the home Loan studios here on the Tim McCartney show. Now back to Dan Deardorff. So Dan regarding 2010 and Cronkie exercised his right of first refusal at that moment. Are you thinking, uh-oh? uh, Oh,
1: well, I I, 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 no one, no one was surprised that he exercised his right of first refusal. That's, that's why he negotiated that in there, and and the price was right. Uh, so when when you look at what the Rams uh, are worth now, and then just take a look at at, at uh, when he bought out the Rosenblums, what he got, what he had to pay for their share. He's uh, 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 this won't come as news to anybody. Stan made a lot of money on that transaction. <laughs> so so you know, hey, uh, you know, I wasn't. At that point in time when he exercised the first right of refusal, I, would, you know, I wasn't thinking to myself, well, that guarantees that they're going to go. Yeah. I thought at that point in time, I, you know, I wasn't – there was two things in play. One, I knew they would be free to leave after the 2014 season. Right? That was a certainty. The, the, the question was, would they have any place to go? Mm-hmm. Which you know, at the time, there there you know there weren't there there weren't that many cities that I'm thinking to myself, who who's really a candidate to lure away the ramps? Somebody's got to entice them to leave, and uh, uh, so that was a question. So I wasn't certain they were going to leave, but I knew it was a certainty that if they wanted to there was nothing we could do to keep them from moving.
0: You know, I talked to Kevin Demoff a lot throughout the whole process, and a lot of the conversations were just understood that, you know, we wouldn't be publicizing the details. And I, at one point, probably a couple months before the vote in Houston, I said, you know, a lot of people when we're doing the show say when Kroenke bought the team, he knew he was moving it to Los Angeles. He goes, I know no one will believe me. Uh, he goes, but when Stan bought the team, he knew one of two things. Either he was going to get an incredible deal from St. Louis because there wasn't going to be a choice based on the lease, or he would at least have the option. But at the time, there wasn't anything in Los Angeles for him to move to. So they knew that they would be good, either free agents or get a great deal in St. Louis. And his hope, he says, was that the drafting of Sam Bradford in 2010 would then lead to some kind of resuscitation of the area downtown and a building like what they got in Indianapolis when they experienced the resurgence with Peyton Manning in the late 1990s. It?
1: Well, <laughs> yes, I, I understand, uh, we all had hope, uh, that, that they were going to stay. I, I, I didn't think California, I didn't think California was an option because I knew, uh, there's a reason why at one point in time, uh, you could make an argument that maybe the three worst stadia in the NFL were all in California. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The candlestick, uh, the, the, the Oakland Coliseum and uh, the old Murph in, in San Diego, uh, because there's there's not one dollar of public money that was going to be spent in the state of California uh, uh, for a football stadium, and that's what the NFL owners were used to getting. They were used to getting extraordinarily sweet deals uh, with public money, and so I, you know, I what I didn't realize at the time was it Stan would be willing to go to Los Angeles and foot the entire bill himself.
0: Yeah. That was the game changer when he bought that land. That's when it became like, Oh, this just got real in 2000. Well, That's
1: when, and that's the one way that guaranteed Jerry Jones and all the other NFL owners, uh, falling into lockstep behind him was the fact that he was willing to, uh, pay for the whole thing himself. Uh, uh, they love being back in Los Angeles and, uh, and, and and the taxpayers of California are delighted because it's not costing them a nickel.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And that, so then that brings me to, to this thought on that whole process. They have the big song and dance where Eric Grubin would come to St. Louis and Oakland and San Diego. And I went to those things out in Oakland and San Diego. I went to the sites in Carson and Inglewood, interviewed the mayor of San Diego all during October of 2015, trying to do my diligence on what was going on. And the big thing was supposedly going to be the committee for the Los Angeles relocation, and then the time comes for the vote, and they vote five to one on Carson over Inglewood. What happened there?
1: Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. You know, I, I I'm not familiar with the the inner workings of that. I I just know that watching this from afar, you know, my point is made about no appetite for public money. That that San Diego wouldn't come up with anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, to keep the Chargers, uh, in my estimation, that was a real mistake on the part of the powers that be in San Diego. Uh, the Chargers, the Spanos family, desperately wanted to stay in in San Diego, and uh, they were just looking for some help along the way. Could could the Spanos family uh, do what Kronky did in L.A. and build their own fan, their own stadium? I, I don't believe that they have the – they don't have the financial heavyweight muscle that, that Kroenke has. The Spanos, is they don't have the type of money that, that Kroenke has, right. uh, uh, extra billions to build something like that. Uh, when I look at what happened to the Chargers and where they are and being the now – the afterthought team in Los Angeles, uh, wow, I, I just – i i I wouldn't i i look at that and I just scratch my head and go i I wonder if the spanos family now doesn't look at where they are and the pickle they're in and go, How on earth did this happen to us
0: yeah, I mean what a what an absolute mess that is. I was talking to a couple of people in Los Angeles who are tied to that whole conglomerate out there with the rams and uh and the chargers, and they're saying you know what? I see the appointments on the books. There aren't corporate sponsors looking to come in and meet and buy sponsorships for the new building for when the Chargers are playing, and there aren't a whole lot of people wanting to buy the PSLs. I mean, they are a they are a franchise without a home at this moment.
1: Oh yeah, it's it, it, you know, and they're playing in this soccer 25,000 stadium. seat soccer stadium now. I, I just I, I look at it and I, I just wonder. I don't know where this is. I don't see the end game here for the. Uh, the, the Chargers, I, they they will never, they will never be anything other than uh, uh, talk about the little brother. Uh, wow, I, I just well they're in a spot I wouldn't like to be. Yeah, I mean
0: you're already in Los Angeles with I mean you saw what took place during the Packers game yesterday. There were you know thousands upon thousands of Packers fans, and that's for an undefeated Rams team. Much right. less if the Chargers are out there and the Chargers are essentially playing 16 road games. Uh, at this moment, we had a reporter on. I don't know if you were aware of this story. It was like a 24 hour news cycle thing about a week and a half ago. Uh, and he was a guy, Dan, who, uh, who covers the NFL. He's in Denver, uh, has a rapport, interestingly enough, with Josh Kroenke from covering the Denver Nuggets. And he had tweeted out and then came on our show and also on Randy Carricker's show on 101 ESPN and talked about uh, his opinion is St. Louis should do everything it could to lure the Chargers because the Chargers are a team uh, that is in absolute disarray in Los Angeles. Could you ever see that happening where the Chargers would move to St. Louis?
1: Uh, I, I, I I, just don't. In this economic uh, climate and and again, i think there has been a uh, uh there's been a oh kind of an awakening uh that talking about corporate welfare and 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 how much public money is a community a given community willing to spend uh for an n f l franchise and i i just don't i, I just don't think I, that a city like St. Louis uh, right now, uh, given the needs of the, the city itself, I just don't see where there's an appetite to spend much of anything for a professional football franchise. I I I, I think it's going to be quite a while before there's any appetite uh, where anyone's able to muster up much in the way of support for that.
0: I'm curious, as you, as, a, as a Hall of Fame player and somebody who called the NFL for a number of years, uh, what you think of is the future for the NFL and I'm gonna talk it about like in the next three, five years, I'm talking about like twenty to thirty years you know with the the talk of c t e uh, some of the negative p r um, how stable do you think the game is? Is it growing or is it is it facing an uncertain future?
1: Um, I, you know i I don't know uh, you know it's the game certainly is uh, uh, under siege from, you know, the, the, the health concerns, player safety, uh, uh, the NFL is, uh, is doing the right thing and in, in trying to legislate some of the violent hits out of it. But let's not kid ourselves. Uh, the, the violent, the controlled violence of football uh, has long been one of the real appeals to the sport. And, uh, the game of football is still extremely popular. I, all you have to—I see it uh, at the collegiate level. It's, uh, uh, but twenty, thirty years from now, uh, I, I just think the NFL, the, the NFL has to be careful. Uh, they they always—they're—they're they're so concerned with growing revenue, growing revenue, squeezing more money out of this. Uh, uh, I just don't want it to reach the point where uh, attending an NFL football game uh, is is reserved for only the very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And and what it costs now to attend an NFL football game uh, that if I was if I was an NFL owner, that is something that I would be. I'd be really concerned about.
0: I always felt like here, and I realized the setup around the Dome wasn't optimal if you want to compare it to other NFL venues. I mean, if you just want to go across the state, 250 miles, Arrowhead is prime for tailgating. St. Louis downtown, it was so choppy that it wasn't necessarily optimal. But one of the great elements and why I personally prefer going to a college football game over an NFL game is is it's a, it's a game day experience, the pageantry of the whole thing. I mean, I can't imagine, for example, what you'll experience for the the Penn State game that you'll be calling this week up in Happy Valley, or or what you have when you when you have you know Michigan. No, we're, on
1: uh, please, we're in Ann Arbor. Ah, you're in Ann
0: Arbor. You don't have to make the trip.
1: <laughs> no, this game's in Ann Arbor. Yes,
0: uh, but when you have to go to Columbus, for example, wherever it is, the point is, yeah. is the atmosphere is just it's something else.
1: Oh well, and you mentioned Kansas City, and and you know that to me, uh, the Kansas City experience when you go to a Chiefs game is the most like uh, a college atmosphere yeah. of any other uh, NFL NFL stadium it, and it's because of the acre upon acre of surface parking that they have it, that is a tailgating paradise i, I never that's the only uh, NFL stadium i go to that when i get there and i'm being driven i roll down my windows because it is the best smelling parking lot on Earth and <laughs> it, it, it's the closest to a college atmosphere with everyone everyone's dressed in red and it's 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 everything it's everything you would want uh, in the game day experience. It, it happens at Arrowhead and it happens there pretty much better than any place else in, in the NFL. It's so much like it is uh, at a major college uh to the game day experience and it's it's something we just could never recreate in St. Louis uh downtown. It's, yeah. No it it's not the fans fault. It, you're just limited by, you know, you don't have the open space to tailgate like that.
0: And that's such a huge part of that game day experience. Anytime yeah, I have Yeah, it's huge. anytime I have somebody who's played the game at the level you did on whether this be, you know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, golf, whatever the case might be, I always like to hear what it was like, not before, you know, when when you got to Michigan, people start knowing who you are. And of course you're playing the NFL, people know who you are, but I'm talking about like when you're like six years old and you're starting to play, assuming you were playing at six years old, are you just in another world versus your, versus your peers at that point as far as your ability and your size? And you're like, Oh my gosh, I might be able to do this at a high level. Like that's what I'm always curious about when guys wind up ascending to the levels that they ascend to such as yourself. Well,
1: first of all, I didn't play uh, football till I was in the seventh grade.
0: Wow. Yeah. So what, 12, 13 years old, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. I did not I did not play football till then. Uh, secondly, uh, uh, when I was a, a sophomore in high school, uh, I didn't even get a letter on my high school football team because uh, we had some upperclassmen and I couldn't even get on the field. Um, when I was a senior in high school, uh, I took a recruiting trip to Ohio State. Uh, they didn't offer me a scholarship. I went to Michigan State. They didn't offer me a scholarship. Uh, Notre Dame wanted nothing to do with me. Uh, I only had two offers uh, in the Big Ten. One was from Indiana. And uh, the, I'll always be convinced that at Michigan uh, uh, backed out on a scholarship because I, I stayed very late, and the only – the only way I ended up there is that my high school football coach was friends' defensive backfield coach at Michigan, who ended up being Don James, who uh, oh wow went on to great success at Washington and and whatnot. And that uh, that's Don James recruited me, and that's how I ended up in Michigan. I I literally was uh, maybe the last guy chosen.
0: Oh my gosh! So were you so on your I way to Indiana? Not
1: have any visions of grandeur. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I ended i always thought I'd end up at Kent state or Bowling green. Or
0: How about that? Like that? How about that? And then, and then it winds up being Michigan. So when you get to Michigan, do you come into your own or what, what happened to, to yes, go from? That's
1: exactly right. So whenever I get a chance to talk to kids, I I'm going, uh, being a late bloomer, um, uh, happens all the time. And, uh, the kid you see, uh, who's kicking everybody's butt in the sixth grade, uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, more often than not, uh, that's not necessarily the, the kid who ends up being uh, uh, a big-time player down the road.
0: Oh, my. this gives me hope to get over 5'10 still. This is this is inspiring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think your ship has sailed.
0: <laughs> so, so, obviously, things go well at Michigan. You're playing for Bo Schembechler. What was that experience like?
1: Well, I was recruited by uh, uh, the head coach at Michigan when I was uh, being recruited was Bump Elliott, and I actually uh, played for Bump. Uh, my uh, Back then, freshmen weren't eligible to play, and uh, so when you went to college, you played on a freshman team, and then you had your three varsity years. So uh, Bump was still the coach my sophomore year, and then he retires, and that's when uh, they hired Bo Schembechler. Uh, So I played for Bo my junior and senior year. Uh, The interesting part was that uh, Bo was the head coach at Miami of Ohio and uh, recruited me down there, Mm. actually did offer me a scholarship at Miami of Ohio, but I'm thinking, I don't want to play for this lunatic. Uh, There's (laughs) no way. And uh, lo lo and behold, uh, two years later, he's my head coach in Ann Arbor.
0: The intensity of Bo Schembeckler is the thing that is, as fans and media, we hear about. You lived it. What can you tell us?
1: Well, it was uh, uh, it was uh, an experience when he came in. Uh, he 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 knew he inherited a, a good football team. Uh, we were eight and two uh, bumps last year, so so Bo knew he inherited a, a, a talented uh, a football team. Uh, as it turns out, uh, the team he inherited had four college Hall of Fame players on it. Um, and, and, and so he knew what he had, but uh, he worked us uh, uh, really, really unbelievably hard. And uh, it's, a, it's a good thing um, at some point in time in your life to be challenged by someone who gets you to do more than you ever thought it was possible to do, uh, someone who pushes you uh, harder and farther than you ever thought, uh, than you could ever imagine, and that was Bo Schembeckler. and he, he, uh, it was painful, it was, uh, it was hard, it was unbelievably hard, but uh, it was uh, rewarding because we, when you play for a man like that, when you get the opportunity to be in the presence. Of of someone who's uh, it, who possesses that type of leadership. Uh, when it's all over with, you realize how fortunate you were.
0: Yeah, is that the kind of thing, Dan, that you realize? You know, when you're done playing, as in, like, done with your NFL career, or is it something in the moment? You guys are like, man, this is tough, but it's worth it because we're winning games.
1: Yeah, when it's when it when it's happening, you're 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 just you're you're just putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, I mean, there were times I was just trying to survive. I'd never worked that hard in my life. And then, of course, you win. And when you win, you know, every coach, you know, every coach convinces their players or attempts to convince their players that if you do what I tell you to do, we will win. Well, the problem is is that a lot of coaches tell their players that, and then they don't win. And and so they're just words. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Bo Schembechler says, "If you do this, we will win," uh, it, it proved to be true. And so, uh, winning is 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 really uh, what it, it's the reason you play. And we won, and and so we were always grateful for that. But I was grateful for the fact that there was no hypocrisy. I played for a coach where there was no hypocrisy at all. Uh, He was the most consistent uh, coach that I'd ever known. Uh, The star player got treated uh, exactly like the worst player on the team. As a matter of fact, the star might've been actually treated hard. He might've been treated in a, in a, in a harsher sense than, than even the guys who were just hanging on because that's the way Bo did it. And, he was right. That's the only way you can consistently run a program for decades.
0: Always good talking football with Dan Deerdorf here on the Tim McKernan show and we're able to do these interviews every Sunday/Monday because of our sponsors. And our sponsor who has been with us from the outset is James Carlton of the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency and that is why I vouch for him without hesitation. But it's not just because he's a sponsor, it's also because I am now in business with James Carlton. I switched my insurance to James Carlton and I recommend that you do as well. Why did I make the switch? Great question. Here's my answer. You're saying, Oh, you're saying it because he's a sponsor. That's fair, but it's not the truth. The reason I did was because we had a car under inside STL and I had to make the switch from one name, John Seymour, when he was here to another name, Kenny Strode, you know him as Iggy. And, uh, And it was, you know, it wasn't really all that complex, but I had to do it. And it was like on a holiday weekend and James knocked it out and took care of it in a matter of, I mean, minutes. And I'm like, man, that's not what I'm necessarily used to. That's super helpful. And then I I said, you know what? Because he kept saying, don't switch to me because then it's going to cause a whole thing. And I said, but my obligations to my wife and to my child. And now that I've seen what you do, I got to, I got to make the move. So everything's under one roof. And now that we have, and now that I've met with him, and now that I see that I wasn't covered for some things that I thought I was covered for, I couldn't be happier that I did. They will make the switch for you when it comes to the paperwork. All you need to do is call 314-961-4800. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. You get drafted by the football Cardinals in the second round. What did you uh, think the day that you got called by the Cardinals to come play in St. Louis?
1: Well, uh, uh, the Cardinals uh, back then. The draft, the draft was at the end of January, and it, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the event that it is now. Uh, you really did just wait for your phone to ring, and then somebody called you and uh, and told you uh, where you were drafted. Now, I was uh, I had been told I was going to get drafted in the first round, so uh, I actually. Uh, I was not too happy uh, that I got drafted in the second round. And then I get a phone call that says I've been drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals. So two things happened. One, uh, I'd never been to St. Louis in my life. And secondly, I find out uh, that the Cardinals at that time don't even have a coach. So <laughs> they, they had fired Charlie Winner and uh, they had not yet hired their next coach. So maybe that was a, uh, that should have foreshadowed maybe what was to come that I get drafted by a franchise that didn't even have a coach.
0: <laughs> you know, one of the things that I think people don't realize because of what, what was the case in the final few years of what the Cardinals were uh, before moving to the desert was that there were some fun and really good teams in the 1970s, you know, I'm talking about people my age and younger. Uh, they'll think it was just like, oh, well, at the end, nobody was there. And I'm like, well, but the 1970s, there were some some fun teams and really kind of a storied offensive line that, that you were uh, certainly uh, at the at the head of the class with those guys.
1: Well, they, uh, they used to put a banner. Somebody made a banner. It must have been 30 or 40 feet long that hung on one of the walls at Busch Stadium. And it was uh, the Great Wall of St. Louis. And it was the five of us uh, uh drawn on this uh, uh color banner and it was uh, it was true uh, uh this town really embraced the fact that we had this uh, uh really dominant uh, offensive line uh, we were uh, we, we we were colorful uh quite a cast of characters but uh we uh, the, the St. Louis fans uh, learned that uh, they learned to appreciate what it means to have a good offensive line and how far that can take your football team. But, you know, we had four out of the five guys uh, were pro bowlers. Um, uh, uh, we, were, we were really an exciting offensive football team.
0: Yeah, the uh Cardia Cardinals Don Coriel and in some teams that but never hosted a playoff game but played in some playoff games, correct? What Minnesota? Uh Yeah,
1: we we uh played uh, Minnesota. We played in uh uh we played in Los Angeles. Uh you know, we just uh you know, back then, uh uh it was hard uh because uh, uh, there were some great teams in the uh in the NFC at the time. The, you know, it was the Dallas Cowboys of of Roger Staubach, uh, uh, and it was the Washington Redskins of of George Allen and Sonny Jurgensen and and Billy Kilmer, and it was uh, uh, Fran Tarkenton and the yeah. Minnesota Vikings, and it was it was the Los Angeles Rams with uh, Jack Youngblood and Merlin Olson and Deacon Jones. So it was uh, there was a lot of competition in the NFC when we were uh, when we were good, you know, even seasons. 11-3, and three. Uh, we still had – we had to go on the road for a playoff uh, game because uh, other teams were 12-2. and two. Wow. Even 11-3 and three didn't get us a
0: home game. Wow. That's something else. That is something yeah. else. I'll let, to win 11 games in a 14-game season, no less, yeah. not, not a 16-game yeah. season. And
1: you don't even get a home game out of it. <laughs> well, back then, only four teams – only four teams out of the conference made the playoffs. Yep. Yeah, your three division winners and, and one, wildcard. one wild
0: card team. Yep. So, and then so what you guys were I mean the, the division was the division then the Redskins Cowboys Cardinals and Giants and Eagles we were right? the,
1: and the Eagles we were the NFC East a five team division and uh you're right so uh uh back then the uh, uh the dominant the two dominant franchises were the Redskins and the Cowboys so to win the division you had to unseat uh both of those which means uh, yeah you had to uh uh, we, you know, when we won the division in, in 74 and in '74 and '75, we had to uh, we had to beat out Roger Staubach. We had to beat out uh, the Redskins, and yeah, it wasn't easily done.
0: When you're playing, like when I was covering the Rams, for example, or even covering the Cardinals, Blues, Missouri, St. Louis, U. Whomever, you get a sense for the people who you're going. Man, if that guy wants to do it, he would be an incredible broadcaster. Now, as it is, oftentimes now. Sometimes, like, for example, I can remember Tyoka Jackson, who does do games on ESPN, uh, and you're going, this is a guy, Aeneas Williams, I can just think back to these guys. Kurt Warner, you could tell, uh, just were guys who you knew, if they wanted to, they could do it. Was this something while you were playing you knew that you wanted to get into, or was it something that, like, Bob Hyland came to you and said, hey, I think you'd be good?
1: Uh, Actually, uh, Jim Bakken and Jim Hart, had a, a show on a Saturday afternoon, um, during the off season on camo X. And it was called the, uh, the arm and the leg. And, <laughs> and they would, uh, they do an hour on a Saturday afternoon, Bob Highland, put him on the air and Jim Bakken was going to take a, a three week vacation to, uh, back to Wisconsin. And, and so they, uh, they asked me if I would, uh, would fill in for him. And, uh, You know, the only thing I can tell you is that the uh, the first time the red light came on, uh, I just you know I just started talking, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't that big a deal, and away it went. And uh, Robert Highland identified me as someone who he thought had some talent, and uh, gave me a venue. So I worked at Camo X the last uh, uh, five years, uh, actually six years. Uh, that I played for the Cardinals. I actually worked at Camo X uh, during the off season uh, on a full time basis. It was a uh, so I knew very early on that uh, when I and and Robert Island told me uh, uh, like three years before I retired, he said, Dan, let's get something straight. When you uh, when you decide that you've had enough playing football, you just move your locker over here. You're you're going to be a full-time employee of X How
0: about that? And
1: that sports yeah, I department, had that, I had that luxury, and it was a real luxury.
0: That sports department at Camo i mean, that's you know, <laughs> in, yeah. the, in the 1970s. I mean, to, to let the audience know for those who weren't familiar with what you had. I mean, that was like a it was like a Hall of Fame festival.
1: Well, I'm sitting. I, I remember sitting in the sports office at times. Of course, Jack Buck was our was our boss. But I'm sitting there, and, uh, and Mike Shannon is there. Bob Costas is there. Bill Wilkerson is there. Uh, Dan Kelly, uh, the immortal Dan Kelly, mm-hmm. the greatest hockey announcer of all time, was there. You know, guys like Gary Bender are walking in and out. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, was incredible. Uh, Ron Jacober. It was just an, it was unbelievable. I, I used to just pinch myself and go, wow can this really be happening? Bob, <laughs> Bob star. Let's not, yeah. Forget Bob yeah, Starr. yeah. No, it, it was, it was an incredible collection of talent.
0: And I'm sure that played a role. And as a broadcaster coming oh, and making the transition, you know, to have all those was, guys around,
1: it was, yeah. it was phenomenal. Yeah. And, uh, uh, no, it was, uh, cutting your chops at, at a place like Camoex with all that talent around you. Uh, it was, uh, I look back on that as, uh, I was extremely fortunate.
0: Now, before you started calling Monday Night Football, true or false, you called the season of the blues. I, uh, I did uh, uh,
1: Mr. Highland. Uh, I, 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 def- I did the football Cardinals. Jack Buck and I were actually the radio voice of the Cardinals in uh, 1984. And then Mr. Highland uh, trying to find something for me to do. Other- he wanted to put me on the air. Uh, yes, he partnered me with Dan Kelly. Uh, I did the Blues for an entire season. Now, I only did the home games. I didn't go on the road. and uh, But, yes, so I did an entire season of the Blues hockey. I did the post-game interviews. And, but when you do a hockey game with Dan Kelly, you realize that the only reason you're there is to uh, – uh, to remind people that on Saturday night, it's calendar night. Uh, <laughs> next Tuesday is bobblehead night. Uh, Dan Kelly, uh, uh, he handled the hockey. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I found out was I would, uh, I would uh, leave with about a minute or so left in the game so I could get down to the locker room because I'd do a post-game uh, uh, interview. And I learned one thing early on. There is no place on earth that smells worse than a hockey (laughs) locker room. Those guys, that never gets any fresh air. Wow. That is one awful place.
0: (laughs) I remember walking in the Blues locker room the first time, and Roman Turek, the goalie in 2000 when they won the President's Trophy, his locker was the first thing you pass. And I go, God, what's wrong with this guy? And then he leaves, and then the next guy smells just as bad. I go, it must just be the room.
1: Hey, I let me tell you, I played football. That's a dirty sport, uh, but but at least we go outside every day, and, and 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 we get fresh air, and our equipment gets fresh air, and our shoulder pads get that that stuff in a hockey uh, locker room that has never seen the, that has never seen the sun. It has never seen fresh air. Oh man, does that stink!
0: <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, it becomes. Uh, the Monday Night Football booth, which is a long-running uh, tandem uh, with with you guys, uh, Al Michaels, your your broadcast partner for uh, a number of these years. What was it, eighty-seven to ninety-nine? Am I right? Eighty-seven, 98? Am I right yeah, on 87 to ninety-eight.
1: Right. Eighty-seven to 12 years with uh, Al and Frank.
0: Yep. And uh, what was what was that experience like? Because that was like the. I mean, that was the always the highest-rated show during the fall and winter. Monday Night Football. You count on it.
1: Well, I was uh, really fortunate that. I did Monday Night Football when it was Monday Night Football. It was uh, uh, it was still uh, the schedule was uh, where they tried to give us the best game of the week. Uh, we were always uh, uh, we delivered ratings that uh, the guys on TV now can only can only dream about. Uh, uh, you know there wasn't quite the competition uh, that there is now, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a a a very satisfying period of my life it was uh it, it, we had a lot of fun together
0: and uh and it, it is a signature program and and then they tried to get a little creative i guess with the Dennis Miller thing that kind of uh what was that one season maybe two seasons
1: yeah i think they did it uh, i was uh uh when uh, abc was bought uh by a company that also owned espn so then the ESPN management came in, and uh, I think they were a little uh, aghast at uh, what we were all making. And uh, and again, when new management comes in, they want to put their uh, uh, they want to put their thumbprint on it. So uh, uh, they they move Frank out, and then when my contract uh, expired at the end of the '98 season, I knew I wasn't going to be back. I knew they were going to want to make some change. And so they did. What do they do? They go to, like, Dennis Miller, uh, you know, and then they they just bounced around for a while. Uh, Tony Kornheiser. I, oh, that's right. I, I forgot about that. You know, yeah. they, uh, to me, they just totally underestimated what a football fan tunes into Monday Night Football to watch a football game. Uh, if they wanted to watch a comedy show, uh, they'd watch it on HBO or something like that. I It was a... Uh, it was a major error on the part of
0: management. But uh, you still, of course, are doing the games and going to uh, CBS. Well, I and... went
1: back to CBS for another 15 years. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. And then finally decided it enough. Was it the travel just kind of got, got to a yeah, point? Yeah, I couldn't.
1: It was too hard to travel. Um, I knew I was going to have a uh, – I knew uh, I I had to have a, a major uh, back surgery and uh, – you know, I was 64 years old and, and, uh, I just said, you know what, uh, uh it's time to, uh, it's time to walk away. So, uh, you know, I, it was, it was, I, I really missed it in terms of, of being with my guys. Uh, uh, there's a sense of team with your producer, director, and your whole TV crew where uh, we're all together on a weekly basis. It was, it was hard to walk away from that, but, uh. Uh, the travel—that's th- the reason. I just, I, uh, I just didn't want to go through airports anymore.
0: When you think of the 1970s and 1980s, Camoex Sports Department, and you think of then you were pairing with Al Michaels and then Dick Enberg and Greg Gumbel, uh, I mean, <laughs>
1: that's a. No, I've never, I've never had to do a, uh, I've never had to do a football game with someone who didn't know what they're doing. I, I've worked with. Uh, uh, you met the guys you just mentioned. Uh, I spent a season with Vern Lundquist. Uh, I've done football games with Lindsey Nelson, uh, Ray Scott. I spent a year at CBS with Dick Stockton. Uh, I have uh, I have had the good fortune with uh, sharing the booth with one broadcasting Hall of Famer after another.
0: Of all of the games that you've been a part of calling, is there a game? that you look back and go, man, I can't believe that I was on the telecast or the broadcast of that one?
1: Uh, we had a couple of really memorable Monday night games. Uh, uh, we did a game where I knew it was going to be the last time that uh, John Elway and Joe Montana were on the field together. Uh, Denver was in Kansas City, and uh, Montana brings Can- he brings Kansas City down in the last 15 seconds with him throwing a touchdown pass. Um, I did the game in Seattle where uh, Bo Jackson trampled the bobs. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and then uh, ran out of the building. And ran up the tunnel. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That that was a Monday night game. Uh, yeah, uh, Jerry Rice uh, uh, setting the NFL touchdown record uh, for a receiver. We did just so many. Uh, we did a Redskins Eagle game that we un- ended up being known as the body bag game because so many. Redskins were down to a running back playing quarterback afterwards. (laughs) So, yeah, it was uh, uh, a lot of wonderful memories.
0: Well, Dan, this has been a great trip down those memories and memory lane with you and then also getting the perspective that you had on, uh, of course, the unfortunate circumstances with the Cardinals and the Rams moving. um, uh, An absolute legend in both St. Louis and broadcasting circles and, of course, a pro football Hall of Famer, a Canton native, who's now immortalized in Canton. Thank you so much for taking so much time out and joining me here on the show. I really enjoyed it and appreciate it.
1: No problem, Tim. Do you need the address where to send the check? <laughs> yeah. It's coming I'll, your way. I'll, I'll, I'll go uh... camp out by the mailbox and wait for that one.
0: <laughs> Don't wait too long. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Dan, thanks uh, you're so welcome. Much. Glad to do it. Thank you. So there it is. My conversation with Dan Deerdorf here on the Tim McKernan show. Very grateful. Dan's time took about an hour of his time, um, and covered so many different things ranging from the Rams moving to his recollection of the football Cardinals, moving to college football, his, uh, ties with Michigan. I'm anxious by the time that this actually plays, will Michigan be in the college football playoff or will we be, uh being able to look back and go, oh yeah, he was really high on Michigan, but they wound up losing to Ohio state or something along those lines. I don't Listen, as I'm recording this, I don't know. Um, But uh, as we speak, Michigan's number four in the country. So uh, then getting into his playing career, playing for Bo Schembechler, uh, playing here in St. Louis, and then his time as a broadcaster. Loved that conversation. There were always a bunch of things that I thought I knew, but I wanted to be able to ask, and I've never had the chance to do it. So uh, to have an hour of his time, Super cool and grateful for it. Uh, Thank you to Ryan Kelly for his sponsorship of the Tim McKernan show. Thank you to James Carlton for his sponsorship of the show. Mark Hanna of evergreen wealth strategies, Mike Judy of Mike Judy presents M J P online at MikeJudypresents.com and Mike Judy, P R S N T S on Twitter, a local promoter who brings acts to St. Louis. Uh, and then also, um, Seth Goldcamp designer, heating and cooling and Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, all making this podcast possible. And of course your support, please continue to spread the word. Email uh, team of Kernan inside STL.com with any questions you may have, uh, or, uh, just make sure that you're liking the podcast and following it and giving it a positive review. It helps the business and we are grateful for that. And if you want to advertise on it, uh, email me at team of Kernan We'll get together for lunch, and BS about it and get on board with this, get on board with what I'm doing with Dan McLaughlin on Facebook live and on Periscope on Twitter. Whatever. We've got things for you. We've got some good stuff, and we're grateful for your support. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to all our sponsors. Thank you to Dan Deardor for his time. Thank you to Gangster Pete for being on the ones and twos. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the Home Loan Expert.com studios.